we've been in a series of messages called Rooted and Grounded. And last week, I know that because this is fall break, we have some folks who may have been traveling, taking some time off. But if you were not here last week, what we talked about was we talked about um, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then the ultimate question, the most important question that I need to ask myself, you need to ask yourself is, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Now this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, so if you'll be turning there with me, I want to talk about something the scripture gives us as a command, just as we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are told that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit. And we cannot pray in the Spirit unless we are filled with the Spirit. And here's what I've observed about myself and through my conversations with other people. You know what I found? I've found that most Christians are not satisfied with their prayer life. I mean, if we wrote out a list of things that we'd like to see improve, we'd talk about how we'd like to see our prayer life improve. The really great news for us that I declare to you this morning is that God knew this in advance. And he made provision for it even before the need arose. In his great plan of salvation, God included the Holy Spirit to be our helper in prayer. And that's the title of this morning's message, The Holy Spirit, Our Helper in Prayer. And what we're going to find in Romans chapter 8 is that help's not just on the way, but help in prayer has already arrived. And so I want you to follow along with me in Romans chapter 8 as we read beginning verse 26 through the 28th verse. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful to be a part of a church who wants to be in your word. And as we bow in prayer now, holding your word open before us, our prayer is not only that we'd be in the Word, but that the Word would be in us, that it would come alive in us. The living Word, Jesus. More of Jesus. And more of you in our lives. A greater obedience to what you have to say to us and a greater joy because of what we know about what you've given us. And today we thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. You look at that 26th verse, you'll notice that three words stand out in Romans 8.26. The three words are the Spirit, 
and prayer. Now the spirit he's talking about here is the Holy Spirit. And prayer as we think about it from the Christian standpoint is, it's one of the greatest privileges that could be given to us. We can go to God, we can talk to Him, we can share with Him those things that are on our hearts, we can read things that we know God wants for us because God always wants what's best for us. And we have this privilege to be able to talk to God. We also know that it's the greatest service that we can render. It's the greatest service we can render to our family. It's the greatest service we can render to our church. It's the greatest service we can render to our nation. It's the greatest privilege. It's the greatest service. But sadly, it's our greatest failure. We fail in prayer. Why do we fail in prayer? I think one of the reasons we fail in prayer is indifference. I mean, we just don't have a desire to pray. You ever get that way? Our flesh just doesn't want to pray. That's one reason why we fail. Indifference, another reason why we fail is ignorance. We don't know what to pray. We get ready to pray. We don't have the words to pray. We don't have the desire to pray. We don't have the words to pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. A third cause why we don't pray is interference. I don't know how it is with you, but I know with me, there are many times when I say, you know, I'm really going to be devoted to prayer. In fact, I've got to set aside some time. I'm going to just get up and I'm going to devote myself first thing in the morning. I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but for me, on many occasions, I'm just easily distracted. (laughs) Am I alone in this? I mean, you know, you get alone with God. You decide you're going to pray. And then your wife asks you to finish an unfinished honeydew project that you've left out in the garage. Or maybe you get ready to pray and the kids get in a fight. <laughs> you know, you have to go in there and you have to referee. You get ready to pray, you receive an urgent message from work. There's something that needs to be done, something that needs immediate attention. We get ready to pray and we waste hours surfing TV channels or checking our Instagram account. We get sleepy. Our minds begin to wander. Does any of this sound familiar? All of the above happened to us. There's this interference that happens. But I want to tell you something else, and that's the truth that the devil tries to keep us from praying. The devil knows if he can keep us from praying, he'll beat us every time. So what does he do? He brings all the artillery of hell to bear against us, to zero in on us, to try to keep us from praying. Samuel Chadwick said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. 
Now, the way for us to experience a fulfilling prayer life is finding God has given us the Holy Spirit to be our ally and our helper in prayer. Now, the Scripture tells us that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit, in agreement with the Spirit, in step with the Spirit. And sometimes we don't walk in step with the Spirit. Our text shows us why we need the Holy Spirit's help in prayer, but it also tells us how the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. Go back and look at verse 26 with me in Romans chapter 8. It says this, In the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we don't know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And what happens in this verse is that Paul shows us several things rather methodically. First, he shows us the Spirit's purpose in us. In the same way, he writes, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. He's there to help us in our weakness. Now you notice, as I notice, that the word weakness is in the singular. He's got one particular weakness in mind, and the weakness that he has in mind is the fact that we're weak and we're feeble apart from him. Apart from the Spirit of God, we don't have any appetite for prayer. We don't have any hunger for prayer. But it's been one of my observations that... uh, People do pretty much what they want to do. You know the reason why you and I don't pray more? I hate to break it to you, but we don't want to. That's the reason we don't pray more. I mean, it's boring. You, you announce a prayer meeting at church, you might as well be talking to yourself. We are weak and we are fe- feeble apart from Him. We need the Spirit. And we need the Spirit which gives us this appetite for prayer, this hunger for prayer. People do what they want to do. And the reason we don't pray is because there is a part of us called the flesh. In Romans chapter 8 earlier, I want your eyes to run back with me to the 5th verse. And we're going to read a few verses in Romans chapter 8 running up to the verses we've read this morning already. In Romans chapter 8 beginning at verse 5, look at what it says. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit, they have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset on the flesh or of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God, God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. And I'm going to read on the eighth verse says this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now Paul uses this word flesh, and when he uses flesh, he's not talking about our skin, he's not talking about our bones, he's not talking about the ligaments, he's not talking about our heart rate. 
What he's talking about here is he's talking about this predisposition that all mankind has to sin against God. I think verse 7 just puts it so bluntly. In our flesh, apart from the Spirit, in our flesh, we're hostile to God. It's that part of us that doesn't love God. It's that part of us that we want to run the show. We want to do things our own way. It's our own nature that we have before we come to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And everybody has this old nature, and that old nature that we all have is we have a nature that is rebellious. We just don't want to do what God wants us to do. But the Spirit, you notice in chapter 8, gives us an appetite for prayer. It energizes us to prayer. Let's read on chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, those of you who are believers in Christ are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. That's pretty plain. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. Go back and look at this phrase in verse 10. Now, if the spirit is in you, the body is dead. (laughs) I don't feel dead, do you? I mean, the way we live as believers in Christ. Now, don't miss this. The way we live as believers in Christ is we think we come to God... And then we just kind of pick and choose what God wants for our life. That is not the way you came to faith in Christ. You know the only way you and I can come to faith in Christ is to die to self. And say, God, I am tired of living for myself. In fact, I'm so sick of it that I want the life that Jesus wants me to have. And you know what happens supernaturally? What happens is we are baptized into Christ and that watery grave that is pictured in baptism is showing not something that we hope will happen, but something that has happened. You died and your old life apart from Christ was buried and you were raised with Christ in your life. Now this is the part we miss. When we read that 10th verse, you know how we read it? That we're working toward dying. And that's our problem. That's the reason why we're getting whipped. The reason why we're getting beat around so bad is because we haven't accepted the fact of the reality of what God's word says that when we came to Christ, we were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but what? Not I. 
but Christ is living in me. Now, that's not a hope so. (laughs) That's a reality. The problem is you hadn't accepted it. You haven't accepted it because you're just going right on living your life the same way that I do sometimes, and that is we don't want to do what God wants. You remember we got an old sin nature? What's the old sin nature? It's hostile toward God. It doesn't want to yield. It doesn't want to say my old self died. It wants to hold out a little bit. Now, wait a second. I might want to go to the ball game instead of pray. Well, that would apply to me. I don't know about anybody else in here. But, you know, there are things about our lives that we don't accept the fact that we have been raised to a new life in Christ. Now, that ought to make you really happy. But, you know, the way that most of us look at that, we think, oh, my gosh, there goes the end of fun. So long cheesecake and sweet tea. Hello, castor oil. If I surrender to God and I exchange my life for Him, we act like that's going to be the worst thing. Let me tell you, it'll be the best thing that ever happens to you. Now, here's the sadness. Here's the sadness. Many of us would testify, I had the best thing that could ever happen to anyone. Jesus came in and Jesus came alive in me. The best thing that could ever happen to me. And we're still living miserable lives. Go figure. When the Bible speaks of our flesh, it's talking about that old edemic nature we had, our predisposition to sin against God. But the ninth through the 11th verse tells us the Spirit gives us an appetite for prayer and energizes us to prayer. Do you think it was a problem for Jesus to pray? Come on, let me know you're there. Now, if I have died and Jesus has come alive in me, follow me, Jesus' prayer life becomes my prayer life. Wow. Hallelujah. Christ is in me. Christ wants to pray. Christ wants to talk to the Heavenly Father. And the Holy Spirit who brought Jesus out of the grave is the Holy Spirit who came into us when we were saved. The Spirit of God gives us the strength and the energy to pray. And reading on in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16, we see this so clearly. Let's look at it together. Verses 15 and 16, Romans 8. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself intercedes, testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. The Holy Spirit gives us life It makes us God's children. And Romans 8 tells us that there is this spirit of slavery. And the devil wants to keep us in slavery. He doesn't want us to be free. 
He liked it when we were just kind of doing whatever he wanted us to do, which is anything that God doesn't want us to do. He's the spirit that controls this world. Let me tell you something. If you're lost apart from Christ, I know what I'm talking about here. I remember what it was like to be lost. And there is this streak that we have in us and this deception that we have in us. We have this illusion that we are in control. That we're calling the shots. Folks, you're not calling the shots when you're lost. The devil's in control. And you're just carrying out the wishes of the evil one who does what he has always done, which is to oppose God. God wants the very best for you and the very best for me. And so the scripture tells us he gives us the spirit and the spirit adopts us and we become heirs of God in Romans 8, 15, 16. We see that. And once we're adopted into the family of God, God puts His Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit in us loves the Father and the Holy Spirit cries out and says, Abba, Father, or yes, Daddy. When we are filled with the Spirit, it's easy for us to talk to our Heavenly Father as it is for us to talk to our Heavenly Father, our Earthly Father. It's just natural. You know, you don't walk through the door and your children come up to you as a parent and say, oh, great and exalted head of our family. Wouldst thou please consider my need and grant that I may go to yonder store and purchase a video game and maybe some underarm deodorant. <laughs> oh, great and exalted one. Now, is that the way you talk to your earthly father? That's not the way my kids talk to me. That's not the way my grandchildren talk to me. The Holy Spirit comes into us, adopts us into the family, and we... It's just as natural for us to talk to our Heavenly Father as it is for us to talk to our earthly father. Now let's return to that 26th verse. We read it earlier. The first phrase in verse 26 says, in the same way or in the like manner. Now what that indicates to us is that there is something that precedes this statement in the same way. It goes back on something that's already been said. And what we find in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, we're not going to read it. But what we find there is that there's a whole lot of not shaking going on, but a whole lot of groaning going on in this world. All creation is groaning. All Christians are groaning. And so when we come to the 26th verse, he says, and the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is groaning. 
You know, the truth of the matter is, is that it's Christians. Did you know that Christians are the only people who know what in the fat's going on around here? We're the only ones that get the full picture of really what's going on in this world. Do you know that currently, presently, everything in this world is out of place? Everything. Creation's out of place is the way God created it. There's groaning in all of creation for restoration to its original intent. Christians are out of place. We're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven. The devil is out of his place. He doesn't belong roaming the earth. He belongs in hell. Everything in this world is out of place and it is groaning to be restored. Christ is out of place. Now he was raised, but he belongs seated on the throne reigning over this earth and all that is in it. But one day everything's going to be put in its place. It's going to be put right back the way God wants it to. The earth is going to be restored. You and I are going to take on the likeness of Jesus in all its fullness and our redemption will be completed in that way and we will spend all eternity with Him and the devil and those who have sided with Him who are against God are going to be assigned to their proper place. The Spirit is interceding for us and it says that the Spirit helps us, verse 26, in our weakness. Now, did you notice that the word weakness is in the singular? The Spirit lays hold on our weakness. It's our inability and He moves in alongside of us. The word helps derives its meaning from a compound Greek word that's actually made up of three different Greek words and it is the word suna, anti, suna, uh, suna, sun, anti, lambano. And when you look at that word, it gives us three words. The root word is lambano. And that means to take hold of. Then you add in front of that word the word soon. And the word soon means union or together with. Now when you make biscuits, you put all the ingredients in there. You stir all the ingredients together. You bake the biscuits and after you have mixed all the ingredients and you've baked the biscuits, you can't extract the ingredients one by one from the biscuit. That's the word it's using to describe the Holy Spirit being with us. You can't separate it. And then you have the word anti, which means facing us. Now put all that together and you get a picture of the meaning of the word helps here. Now it just means helps. It just kind of lays there. But when you get this anti-sunalambana, what you get is the Holy Spirit is in union with us, takes hold of us, 
and faces us. We are face to face with the Spirit. What you need to do is you need to picture a man who's trying to load a heavy log in his pickup truck. Along comes another man, grabs hold of the other end of the log. The two men are facing each other, and together they lift the log and put it in the truck. That's his word, helps. When we pray in the Holy Spirit, we're face to face with him. There's that vital relationship. He with me, I with him. He takes hold, I take hold, and together we do it. Now you need to understand something there is that the Holy Spirit's not going to do all the praying for you that you're supposed to be doing for yourself. This is a joint venture and what he's talking about here is he says here that I can't do it without the Spirit and the Spirit will not do it without me. Now this is a gift that God has given to us. Together in prayer, the Holy Spirit of God helps us to pray. And second, Paul shows us our problem. Where's the target area of our weakness? There seems to be two things together here. The first thing that we are given in verses 18 through 25, Paul is exhorting these Roman Christians who are going through a time of suffering, but evidently they're not doing so good at it. Like us, when we go through times of suffering or trouble or turmoil, you know what? we tend to pray is we don't tend to pray, we tend to blame somebody else. Or we tend to have a pity party for ourselves. And you know what happens when you have a pity party. You send out the invitations, nobody shows up except you. Evidently, these believers in Rome, they weren't doing so good. But coupled with this weakness is our inability to pray as we should. Verse 26, for we do not know what to pray for as we should. And that's where the Holy Spirit takes hold of our situation, comes along with us and does what we cannot do. We say, God, I trust you in this situation. I need your help. I don't even know what to pray. And the Holy Spirit picks up the other end of the log that we cannot carry. And it's not that we do not pray, but we don't know what to pray. Because we don't know what God is doing in each trial that we're going through. It's kind of like, as James says in his book, he says, you know, we pray, but we pray amiss. We often pray what we think is best for us. But we don't always look at life the way God does. And when we pray, we don't know how or even what to ask. I think one of the most common things that we do with other believers is we share burdens with each other. One of those is we have people on a prayer list who are in the hospital. And we gather together and we pray for those people. We think we know what's best. God encourages us to pray. God says, you don't have because you don't ask. And so we pray in our way what we think is best for that person. 
Have you looked at Jesus' prayer in John 17 and ever read verse 24, exactly what Jesus is praying there? Now don't take my word for it. This is worth looking at. John 17, 24. I want you to listen. This is Jesus. He's praying. Are all Jesus' prayers answered yes? That would be a yes. Listen to what Jesus prays. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. You know what Jesus wants for every one of us? He wants us to be with him. And we get together in a prayer meeting and we pray for those who are sick thinking we know what's best. You ever think about it? What you're doing? We're praying that the saved will be kept out of Jesus' presence. That they won't go to heaven, be with him. That's the very thing Jesus wants. You ever thought about how disproportionate it is? We pray for the Saved to be kept out of heaven, but we don't pray for the lost to be kept out of hell. Why is that? Because we don't know what to pray for as we should. We don't know what to ask or how to pray. You remember during a time of suffering, Paul begins to pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. He says, you know, three times I sought the Lord. That's with a a major sense of urgency. This is bothersome. I come to the Lord. I said, Lord, take this away from me. You know what the text tells us? That Paul ended where he should have began. He prayed for God to take away the thorn. He should have began his prayer where he ended. Father, your grace is sufficient. I know that I have a tendency just to be proud. Walk around popping my spiritual suspenders. I needed to be humble. He ends up, and when he's praying there, he's talking to God, and these big old salty tears running down his cheeks. And he says, Lord, I get it. When I'm at my weakest is when I'm the strongest. Now, that's where he should have began his prayer, but that's not where he began his prayer. The Holy Spirit makes good these deficiencies in our prayer life. It says in verse 26, but the Spirit intercedes. The verb's in the present tense. Anytime, any place, at all times when it's needed, He intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit happens upon us and He acts on behalf of us and the Holy Spirit works all that is spiritual in us, even our praying. And the verse goes on to say that he does so with unspoken groanings. There are some who use this statement as a proof text to to talk about 
a prayer life, a speaking in tongues type of prayer life that they have. But I want you to look at those words very clearly. He's not talking about any kind of human experience here. He's talking about unspoken groanings. It's not any kind of human language whatsoever. These groanings are the communication that's happening between God the Holy Spirit and God the Father. It's not saying us, or do, we're not doing anything. What it's talking about here is a communication that's taking place in the Godhead. When believers in Christ go through deep and dark valleys of suffering, when our hearts yearn for the will of the Father, then we know He cares for us so much that our groanings become His groanings. And as He takes them and prays the perfect will of God for us, He does so when we don't even have a clue what to ask for. I want you to think about the lawyer who prepares a case for court. First thing a lawyer has to do is determine whether or not his client's telling the truth. And then begin to assemble the facts together and do all the research to prepare the case. And then what does he do? He turns it over to the trial lawyer who presents the case to the jury and the judge. Now, we as Christians, we have a double comfort. And that double comfort we have is that we have the Holy Spirit who is interceding for us. And the scripture tells us that we have Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us as well. Now, when I'm compelled through circumstances to pray, I'm suffering, I'm in pain, I'm not knowing how, but wanting God's will to be done, it's then that the Holy Spirit immediately picks up the burden and takes my properly prepared case to the Lord Jesus who presents it to the Heavenly Father. And verse 27 reads this, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He who searches the hearts, that's speaking of God, Almighty God the Father. Think of all those places in Scripture where it talks about God knows the secret things. Matthew chapter 5, present your alms in secret and your Father who sees in secret. In other words, the Father sees your heart and sees my heart. And then it says the Father who sees in secret will reward you. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 9. David is speaking to his son Solomon, he says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. Acts chapter 1, verse 24, they are praying to, the apostles are gathered together, they're praying to fill the spot that has been vacated by Judas. And listen to how they begin their prayer. Acts 1, 24, and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knows the hearts of all men, show us which one of these two you have chosen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but pleasing God who examines our hearts. The Holy Spirit knows everything that's in our hearts. That'll either be a reason or occasion for amen or oh me. 
He who searches the hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit, verse 27. The Holy Spirit and the Father are one, you see. The Spirit doesn't have to ask the Father what His will is because the Holy Spirit is God. This is God the Holy Spirit talking to God the Father. And God the Holy Spirit picks up the other end of that log that we cannot carry and He takes our groanings and He turns them into a prayer which asks the very will of God It says in verse 27, he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Prayers is work. (laughs) We bow our heads filled with groanings because of our longing for the event that will one day come. And as we're bowed over with the pain and the sufferings of this life, unable to pick up the weight of the situation... The Holy Spirit who is God who cares for us beyond our understanding quickly picks up our groanings and interprets them in prayer that is according to the will of God. When our desire is to please God, we want to do the will of God. When that's our desire. And we pray And the words of our prayer, despite our desire, are not correct. We should not be discouraged. Because the Holy Spirit has already stepped in and translated our prayers according to the perfect will of God. Church, as we are praying for our next pastor. We pray and oftentimes we don't even know what to pray for. We think we know. Here's the good news. God who knows infinitely more than we is interceding for us in perfect accord with the will of God for us, according to His timing in every situation, He is at work. And we are not discouraged because you know what? God is trying to show us there's nobody here that's going to be able to point to themselves and say they stuck their thumb in the pie and pulled out a plum and said, oh, what a good boy am I. What a gift. What a resource the Holy Spirit of God is for believers. And do you know what kind of conclusion we can draw when the answer comes? And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And verse 29 goes on to say, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We can thank God for our circumstances. We can thank God for when we're in certain circumstances because God the Holy Spirit has been our prayer partner the whole way, every step of the way. Now to have the Holy Spirit's help, the first thing is we must be saved. Going back there, you remember in Romans chapter 8 when he was talking, he says, you know, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. 
the first thing we need to pray along with the Holy Spirit to pray in the Spirit is to have the Holy Spirit in us. And that comes when we confess our faith in Jesus. So to have the Holy Spirit's help in prayer, first we must be saved. But second, and this is for all of us, we can be saved and have the Holy Spirit in us and still not pray in the Spirit. We need to have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit needs to have all of us. A lot of us are just really happy that the Holy Spirit is resident in us. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit wants to be resident in you, but let me tell you something else. The Holy Spirit wants to be president in you. And so today, just as a believer in Christ, the question we need to ask ourselves is, Lord Jesus, I want you to be enthroned on my heart today and every day to pray that boy you know ministry is such a blessed life because we get to be around some really good people and we get to sing songs about Jesus and we get to you know come and serve at church you can be in God's service and not be filled with the Spirit. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit to pray with the Spirit. Today I just want to say to you that if you have not asked Jesus into your life to be your Savior, I want to plead with you to ask Christ to come into your heart today you're watching online call upon Jesus today repent that is turn from your sin and turn to Christ and say God I've been following my own way I want to follow your way listen Jesus doesn't just ask us to believe in him what Jesus asks in the scriptures is to follow him and when we say yes to Jesus we're saying Lord I want you to be enthroned in my life. I want you to forgive my sin and I want to acknowledge you as Lord and I'm tired of following my way. I want to follow you. Would you make that your prayer today? I'm thinking about the mission team that's going to New York. Statue of Liberty. Empire State Building. Times Square. That sounds like a fun trip. That's not why you're going to New York. I hope you get to do all those things. But God's got some divine appointments for you in New York. And he's sending you there because there are some people who are crying out just as the Macedonians cried out to Paul and said, come over here and help us. 
So today as we bow our hearts together in prayer, I want to thank God for you. I thank you for the privilege of letting me be here to serve with you. And it is a privilege. It's not a right. A lot of people available to do this. We get to do this. So Father, this morning, as we pray, thank you, Holy Spirit, for joining together with us. And we pray, I know that I pray here for myself, I want to do your will. And I'm not going to pretend to know that in every situation or maybe even in any situation that I know what the perfect will of God is for me in that situation except that I know it's your will that I be filled with the Spirit so God I would confess that I need and I want that filling. And I know that your word says that if I pray anything in accordance with your will you will do it so God I ask you to fill me with your Spirit and trust your word that you will do as you've said you will every time. 